morning. Some good quotes in that video, right, about prayer. I want to welcome you back to our study through the book of Acts. We've got two more weeks after today in our long journey through the book of Acts. And some of you may have figured out at this point that there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and we have covered 14. We're halfway through the book of Acts and two weeks yet to go after today. And you might be wondering, wait a minute, it took us nine weeks to get halfway through the book of Acts. How are we ever going to cover 14 more chapters, the second half of this book, in, in just two weeks? I admit to you that I am terrible at math, so I probably could have done a better job dividing up the, the number of chapters and divided that by the number of weeks that we had to work with before we switch over to our Christmas series called The Wonder of Christmas, which I'm really excited about. I think you're going to really uh, enjoy that series. But here's the thing. I've not been using mathematical equations to figure out which stories that we're supposed to be learning about or what call uh, that God has placed on your life and my life. I have been using prayer. I have been praying week after week over what does the Holy Spirit, which stories does the Spirit of God want us to study? What is the call to action that, that God wants us to hear from His Word uh, out of those stories? I've been, as many of you have, I'm sure, who pray for me every week, which I appreciate. We've been praying that God would give us what He wants us to hear. As I've been reading through the book of Acts and then, like I said, praying for guidance, these last two weeks, next week and the final one, I have a lot of confidence in, in the stories that I believe the Lord wants me to highlight for you, the, the last two sermons in this series, what is the call to action. I've, I've got a lot of confidence in these last two. We're going to talk about some disagreements, a contrast between, uh, between two different disagreements that take place, and how do we handle that? What's the call to unity in our lives and the call to work th those kind of things out? And we're going to finish up the series as, as we uh, walk with Paul, we, we hang out with Paul through this last part of his life uh, on this journey that he was on really towards death and his execution, and how did that all end up uh, for him? So I, I feel strongly these are the two stories left that God wants us to take a look at, but when it came to this week, I wasn't sure. I just didn't have a high level of confidence as to what story that the Lord wanted us to look at, what's the call to action, so I just kept praying. And as I prayed, I, I felt led to call a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, and we talked and we prayed together, and he committed himself to pray and to fast for me as a result of a lot of of earnest prayer, I can stand before you with great confidence that the Holy Spirit wants us to talk about prayer this morning. There's a call on your life, a call on my life as a follower of Christ to faith-filled prayer. And here's what I love about how God answers our prayers. The story that we're going to read this morning was one that I was prepared to skip over. 
But apparently, it's a story that God knows that we need to hear and apply in our lives. We're going to go back and look at Acts chapter 12. If you were with us last week, you know that I skipped over it. I challenged you to read it on your own. I, I hope that you did, but God wouldn't leave it off my heart. So we're going to go back, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 12 this morning. And before we do that... If it's a sermon on prayer, we should probably take some time and pray, right? Lord, thanks that we're in this space together. Some are watching on our live stream, or maybe they'll watch it later this week, but there are also those of us who are gathered together. We're asking, God, as, as we look into your word, as we study this story from Acts chapter 12, that your Holy Spirit would challenge our hearts, that you would call us to an understanding of what it means to live a life filled with, life, or with, with faith-filled prayer. That, uh, yes, we would have a desire to be in conversation with you all throughout the day and understand the value of that in our relationship with you. But there are seasons in our lives, Lord, when we are just called to earnest, fervent, intentional, serious, faith-filled prayer. And there might be someone who's here, there might be someone listening, that that's the season of life they're in. There is something standing in front of them this morning, God, that that is bigger than they could ever imagine. That is, that is so difficult to walk through that there's no way they're getting through it without your help. And so we are, we are asking this morning that whatever it is that you want to lay on each heart, that you will do that through the power of your Holy Spirit, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Join me in Acts chapter 12. I'm going to start with the first four verses. It sets the stage for our story. Acts 12, verse 1 says, About that time... King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, which is John's brother. There's a couple different Jameses throughout the New Testament. This one specifically, remember James, John, the disciples, brothers of thunder, right? Those guys. James was killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, He also arrested Peter. We can make the assumption at this point for the same purpose. This took place during the Passover celebration. So here's what that means. That means kind of like our government federal holidays. You know, the post office is closed. The government buildings are closed. uh, The courthouse, all those kind of things closed down. And so he's arrested, but the trial is not going to take place until after the holiday. Verse 4, then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for a public trial after the Passover. As we have an understanding, I think it is important to have an understanding of the backdrop of why this is happening. You read this, and what's, what's Herod's problem with the Christians? Why is, why is he arresting and killing James? Why is he arresting Peter, going to put him on trial, most likely going to do the same thing to him? Why is he so grumpy towards the Christians? Well, to answer that question, I think it's important we keep all of our Herods straight, that we know who we're talking about. We go back in time, 30 plus years from this moment, 
We had Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who tried to trick the Magi, tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. That's Herod the Great. Herod the Great had three sons. One of those sons, his name was Archelaus. He's irrelevant to our story. Another one of his sons was Herod Antipas. And he's relevant to the story in this. Herod Antipas is the one who killed John the Baptist. Remember that story? That's Herod Antipas. Herod, or Herod Philip II it was the third son, and he himself is somewhat irrelevant to the story, except that he had a nephew. His nephew was this guy, Herod Agrippa, who would take over for Herod Philip II. And here's what's interesting about our Herod, Herod Agrippa. He had an incredible thirst for power. You think about Herod the Great had this, this huge territory, and when he died, he split it up among his three sons, so they each have a third of the kingdom. And when it gets to Herod Agrippa, he's not satisfied with a third of the kingdom. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. And so he is driven by a desire for power, and he accomplished it. He accomplished total control. He brought all of the territory back under his control. Now, why is that important? It's important because it helps make sense of the why this is happening. Herod's arresting and killing Christians in order to win favor with the Jews, with the Jewish people. Because of his uh, power-hungry desires, not satisfied with a third of the kingdom, he wants it all. And so, persecuting Christians was a way for him to ensure support from his base, if you think of it like that. And that happens today. It's the same reason why modern politicians will call Christians, you know, hate-filled bigots. I'm not a hate-filled bigot. That's not who I am. But there will be politicians who will, who will use terminology like that towards Christians like you and I. What? To to gain support from their base. That's why it happens in politics. It's why it was happening here. And in the backdrop of all of that, of Herod Agrippa trying to uh, whip up support with his base so he can gain more influence and power, one of the ways he does that is he, he kills, he starts to kill, arrest and kill Christians like James, and now he's hoping to do the same with, with Peter. But... What a wonderful word here in verse 5. But while Peter was in prison, while that's happening in the background, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The church prayed earnestly, intently for him. That phrase describes uh, this intense, prolonged season of intentional, fervent prayer. Now, we know from later on in the story, we'll, as we read through the story, we'll find out that they were actually, this is during the Passover time, right? So they're, they're praying, I'm sure they're together with family and, and uh, all these things with friends and on their own. But there, come, there, there was also a time where they would gather together, maybe not all of them, but a, at least a, a bunch of them would gather together and they would pray together. And we're going to find out that they actually had the night before Peter's trial, a late night. Maybe they intended it to be an all-night prayer vigil for Peter. 
So based on everything that we know so far to this point in the story, this is a group of Christians who believed in the power of prayer. They're not just praying for Peter on the way to work or, you know, a two-minute prayer before bed. They are making an effort to get together for the express purpose of praying for Peter, and it says they are earnestly, intently praying for him, for his rescue, for his release. Verse 6, what is the result of their prayer? The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. So we, we understand the time period. This is, in the, this is in nighttime. He's asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Other, others stood guard uh, at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to wake him up. Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did that. Now put on your coat and follow me. So Peter left the cell. Now remember, he's chained. He was. He was chained to two guys. These guys apparently don't wake up. Chains come off. He's walking out. Nobody sees him. This is, this is miraculous stuff happening. In fact, he thought, it says in verse 9, he thought this was a vision. He thought this was a dream. He didn't realize this was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts. They came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them all by itself. And they passed through. They started walking down the street, and the angel suddenly left him. I think the NIV says they walked about a block away from the prison, and he came to himself. He realized this was not a dream. This is, this is really happening. You know, Ten minutes ago, I was, I was in a, a prison cell chained to these two dudes, and now I'm standing here a block away from the prison. This is incredible. I find it fascinating that the way the angel did this, the way this miracle plays out, it felt like a dream, like one of those uh, out-of-body experiences that we see in the movies with special effects, only, only this was real. This really happened. And I want to ask you, could we agree, could we agree that this, this was an answer of yes to the request that these Christians who had been praying throughout Passover, that night at that prayer vigil, they'd been begging God, begging God to rescue Peter. Could we agree that this was an answer of yes to that prayer? So what response are we expecting? We find out that when he realized, it says when he realized uh, that, that this actually happened, verse 12, he went to the home of Mary. That's where this prayer vigil was taking place. So what are we expecting the next verse to say? Well, I think at this point we're expecting the people at the prayer meeting to like start fist pumping, yes! Your right, hands in the air praising God, yes, I knew it! I knew God was going to answer our prayer. I knew He was going to, 
uh, release and, and somehow rescue Peter from prison. I knew it. Praise God. Like, that's what we're expecting the next verse to say. It said in verse 5 they were praying earnestly. This, this prayer meeting was, was, was not just a, a random one. Hey, you guys bored? Let's get together and have a prayer. No, they were specifically praying for Peter's rescue. They had intended to be there all night to do that. When he realized, it's verse 12, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked on the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, what'd she do? She was so overjoyed. So she has the, the reaction that I think we're expecting. So overjoyed, she panicked, and instead of opening the door, she went back in to tell everybody, it's Peter. Guys, it's Peter. He's at the door. I, I, expect the, I expect the room to burst into excitement and joy. Verse 13 Here's their response. Rhoda, you're out of your mind. Crazy. What? He just knocked the door. No, no, I'm serious. And, and she's back and forth. No, I'm serious. It's Peter. He's, he's at the door. You're nuts. I know it's late. Maybe you need to take a nap, Rhoda. Are you, are you sleep deprived? What? She insisted. They decided this. No, it's not him. It must be his angel. We'll come back. We'll circle back to that. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. You might have the word astonished, this idea of shock. What? A couple things jump off the page. Number one, it is interesting, it is curious as to what they must have meant when they, say, when they said, uh, this, this, this can't be him, this has to be Peter's angel. Well, that's curious, right? It's a curious thing. What did they mean by that? What did they think was happening? Well, first of all, we, we humans, when we die, we don't become angels. Angels are a separate created being from humans. The eternal soul of a human believer, yes, we will receive a, a new, perfect, eternal body. We will one day, as, as followers of Christ, we will be given a, a perfect, eternal body, resulting in a perfect human, not a transformed uh, being into, a, into an angel. They're, they're two different created beings. So it's not that. So what did they, what did they mean by that? Well, there's, there's three options. Option number one... It's possible that they thought, no, this is, this is an angel that looks like Peter, an angel that has taken the form. Like, you know, the angel that, that uh, appeared in the prison and miraculously led Peter out of the prison, like an actual angel, but has taken the form of Peter, and perhaps he's here with a message, right? A message, Peter is dead. Peter's about to get dead. Sorry for your loss, right? Option two is... Maybe they thought this was Peter's guardian angel, not taking the form of Peter, but this was the, the guardian angel assigned to Peter, and he's there with the same message. Uh, Peter's dead. 
He's about to get dead, so sorry for your loss. The third option is that they thought this was Peter's spirit. And they just used a, a phrase uh, to, to describe that this is, this is uh, Peter's dead, uh, you know, he, he's dead, but his spirit is there. And I'm not exactly sure what that message would have been, like knocking on the door, boo, I'm dead. I, I don't know what, what that message would have been. But here's the thing, whatever, whatever they thought it was, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure it out because none of them are what happened. None of those options are what happened. He's alive. He's not dead. Peter was alive, and he was really standing at the door knocking. The very thing that they had been praying earnestly for. They had been begging God to perform a miracle. They had been begging God to, to do the impossible, and God did the impossible. And yet their response was, you're out of your mind, Rhoda. You're crazy. God didn't really do what we've been begging him to do. That was their response. And I wonder how often our prayer life looks like that. Some honest transparency. I know that I was guilty of this when, when Roe versus Wade was overturned. I would like to say, you know, I've prayed my entire life. You don't pray when you're five for abortion to end, right? So I can't say my entire life. But as long as I can remember when, when, this, when I understood this issue, for as long back as I can remember, this is something that I, I have prayed that God would put an end to abortion in, in, in our country, in the world, that, that, this, uh, that this ruling would be overturned. I've, I've prayed that. I, I know that some of you have, have done the same thing. Maybe you're older than me. You remember when this happened, and for 50 years you've been praying for this. And yet when it happened, when, when the states were, were given the power to set their own regulations, when, when that happened, I was shocked. I couldn't believe that God did what we've been begging him to do. And I know it was God. I didn't think it was possible, and yet God did the most unlikely of things through the most unlikely of people. There's a, an, an article, you, you can look it up, by the Guardian, there's an article that talks about, they, they estimate, since this uh, took place, when's June, is that when it was? Six months, 10,000 children have been saved from abortion just in six months. Have you ever prayed for something? Maybe you've begged God for something, but you didn't really believe that he would say yes. You knew that he could. You, I know you can do the impossible. I just don't think you will. I just don't. And you wouldn't say it like that. But I wonder if that's how we sometimes pray. 
Last week, we read Acts 13, 1 to 3, as we talked about God's call in our lives to serve. And in the beginning of that chapter, there's this group of leaders in the church that are gathered together to fast and to pray. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord, fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after what? More fasting, more prayer, these men laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas and they sent them out on this missionary journey. You see the contrast between the beginning of chapter 13 and this group of Christians gathered together in the middle of the night to pray? Do you see the contrast between the two seasons of prayer? I believe that God calls believers like you and I to faith-filled prayer. Faith in a God who performs miracles. Faith in in, in a God who, who answers prayers in His time according to His sovereign plans that are always right and always good. Faith in a God who is for us and not against us. Faith in a God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and made it possible for you and I to be made right with Him through faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. I think oftentimes we we talk about prayer and our minds will often connect to different references about the command uh, that we see to pray. When there's something going on in our lives or just to have this relationship with the Lord, that, that prayer is an essential part of the Christian everyday life. And there's lots of verses like that, that that challenge us, that command us to pray. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. Right? That's the challenge there is to be in prayer all the time. Things are good, pray and rejoice. Things are challenging, pray about it. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about everything, but in everything with with thanksgiving in our hearts. What are we supposed to do? By prayer and petition with a heart of thanksgiving, present our request to God. And the result of that is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts, will guard our minds in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Guard from what? Well, I'll go back to the beginning of that verse. From anxious thoughts, from anxiety, from worry, from fear. Because we have courage and confidence in our relationship with Christ that we can bring our requests to Him and have confidence that He can handle it. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, being thankful. Very direct. Be a person of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will. God's will for us in Christ Jesus is that we are thankful uh, in, in all circumstances, that we are people who pray. And I don't know that that causes us tension. I don't know that we read those verses and, and, and say to ourselves, you know, I kind of like being anxious and fearful. I don't know that I really want to pray instead. I don't know that we think that way. 
I don't know that those verses create within us some kind of tension. Now, we, we may not always follow through, but we don't mind those verses challenging us back to prayer. But I wonder what we do with verses that challenge us to pray in faith, expecting that God will do the impossible. I wonder what we do with those. Jesus said in Matthew 21, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. It's not just something you stick on a t-shirt. Jesus said that. John 14, and I will do whatever you ask. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. I will do whatever you ask in my name, in the name of Jesus, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus said that. In James chapter 5, the question that is posed by James is, if, if, is somebody sick, what are you supposed to do? If someone is sick, that person is, is challenged to, uh, encouraged to call on the elders of the church to come and pray over him or her and anoint that person in oil and offer up a prayer of faith. Listen to this from James 5. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It doesn't say might, it says Will. What do we do with that? The Lord will raise him up. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Maybe that causes us some tension in our faith. Now let's just deal with this. If we, as we talk about faith-filled prayers, we do have to be careful that we don't take verses like this and get them sideways and apply them in ways that, that the Lord has not intended for us to apply them. For example, is a faith-filled prayer, is, is that, does that mean or is it about making sure we have the right formula, saying all the right magic words, making sure we get it all in the right order? If I pray for a new Corvette and to win the, the billion-dollar Powerball, and I believe, I really believe. And at the end of that prayer, I say, and in Jesus' name, amen. Does that mean that God is going to give me a Corvette and, and, and a billion-dollar Powerball? I believe. I said the, the, the right words. There's nothing in Scripture that, dis, that would lead us to an understanding of God that He is a cosmic vending machine. That's not who God is. You push the right buttons and out comes whatever you want. That's, that's, not, that's not what the scripture teaches about prayer. And I can give you two quick examples. Remember Jesus when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and his request was this, Lord God, if there is, if there is any other way to accomplish this, to, to appease your wrath against sin, besides the suffering of the cross. Let's do that. But God didn't change His plan, did He? God didn't rescue Jesus from the cruelty of the cross. Instead, 
God chose to use the cruelty of the cross. Instead, God chose to use the painful death of His only Son, who was innocent of any sin. He used that to make a full payment of our sin debt. Remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus had a couple sisters, right? Mary and Martha, and they were all good friends with Jesus. And when Lazarus got sick, he was dying. They knew he was dying. They sent word to Jesus. They knew he wasn't far off. And they said, you need to come. Please, please come and heal our brother. He's going to die if you don't come. And he didn't. Jesus didn't come. And he died. Lazarus died. And they were upset. Dare I say they were ticked. They believed that Jesus could heal their brother. They were absolutely confident that Jesus could heal their brother. And they asked him to come and do that. In faith, they asked Jesus to come and heal their brother. Now later we find out why Jesus didn't come, but they didn't know that in the moment, did they? Later we find out that Jesus intended to raise Lazarus from the dead, but all, all Mary and Martha knew in the moment was they asked in faith, and, and they had absolute confidence. They believed that Jesus could heal their brother, and He chose not to. Sometimes God's answer to our prayer is no. Sometimes God's answer to our prayer is not yet. We've been praying for 50 years and God's answer to that prayer has been, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then He did it. He answered that prayer in an incredible way. What then is faith-filled prayer? Faith-filled prayer is believing with full confidence that God can do the impossible. While at the same time, Trusting that if God says no, if God says wait 50 years, that His plan is right and good. It is both of those things. Faith-filled prayer is this confidence that God, this belief, this absolute confidence that God can do the impossible. But if He chooses not to, if He says not yet, there's still a confidence there that His sovereign plan is good. Faith-filled prayer then is, is praying for, it's choosing to pray for the miracle. To pray for the miracle healing, believing that God can do the impossible. When, and, and when God does, when God does provide the miracle, when He does the impossible, when He tosses the mountain into the sea on our behalf, we're not shocked, we're not surprised, we simply rejoice with gratitude and awe. That's faith-filled prayer. Faith-filled prayer is trusting God with the answer that He gives, whether it's yes, no, not right now. It's believing that God has a sovereign plan and purpose that we may not see where we're standing. Believing in the power of faith-filled prayer is believing that when another believer says to you, I am praying for you. When another believer says to you, I just want you to know that our church 
our grace group, our family, our prayer chain. We have been praying for you. That we don't respond. Now, you would never say this out loud, right? But we don't in our mind or in our heart respond, that's nice, thanks. Thanks for the positive thoughts. What a nice thing to to say that you're thinking about me. No. Faith-filled prayer and believing in the power of faith-filled prayer says that if we really believe that the prayer of others on our behalf is happening, that we believe it is powerful. And because we believe that the faith-filled prayer of others is powerful, it gives us confidence to walk into the storm with courage. We walk into the storm with courage because we know there is an army of prayer warriors riding into battle with us. Boldly going before the throne of God on our behalf, believing that God still does the impossible. I believe that God wants someone to hear this message. And I don't know who, I don't know if it's you in the room, someone on the other side of that camera. I don't even pretend to know the full measure of what God wants to do in our hearts collectively today with this. But I am confident that God is calling us to a life of faith-filled prayer. And yes, we need to be in, in daily conversation with God. We need to make sure that we have that daily conversation uh, in prayer with God to keep our relationship with Him close. We, we pray about everything. We repent of sin. We, we give thanks to God throughout the day. That's so important. But there are times when we may need to move beyond the normal conversation. It's like in life. Sometimes you know, we have daily, normal conversation with our friends, our family, our spouse, our kids, and that's good. We need that. But sometimes in life, we have to have a much more serious, intense conversation. There are just seasons of life when that needs to happen. And sometimes in life, the same thing is true of prayer. We have these daily, ongoing conversations of praise and thanksgiving and and just conversation about our lives and our day with the Lord, and it's beautiful and it's sweet. But sometimes there are seasons of life when we have to have a much more serious, intense season of prayer. Maybe it's over a a really big decision. Maybe it's over a serious illness. Maybe it's a, a crisis that you're walking through or a potential crisis that's looming in the distance. But it's something that is bigger than the normal conversations that you have with God. As we think about faith-filled prayer in those seasons of life, I want to challenge you to consider fasting during those seasons of faith-filled prayer. If you're not familiar with with fasting, uh, typically it would mean to give up food, maybe give up food for the day. Maybe it's uh, you give up lunch or maybe you sacrifice something else and focus on prayer. Can you imagine this? Imagine giving up your cell phone for the day. You're like, I would rather starve. 
than give up my cell phone for the day. But I want to challenge you to think through fasting as, as something, a discipline that you would add to the season of faith-filled prayer. I also want to challenge you to consider asking some prayer warriors to join you in that season of prayer. Believing that God can do the impossible, trusting His plan if He says no, trusting His plan if He says not yet, but believing that if God says yes, there's nothing that's going to stop Him. He can do the impossible.